0: Hello everybody and welcome. You're listening to episode two of SFF Addicts, a bi-weekly panel podcast featuring writers from fanfiaddict.com, guest authors, publishing professionals, bloggers and more, where we come together to chat about science fiction and fantasy, as well as the occasional jaunt into the wider SFF industry. I'm your host, Adrian M. Gibson, and this week we're discussing self-publishing and SPSFC with authors Hugh Howey and Duncan Swan. Now, Hugh and Duncan recently launched SPSFC, the self-published science fiction competition, and we're so excited that they joined us to chat more about it. But before we jump into the panel, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of SFF Addicts is brought to you by the amazing folks at The Broken Binding. They live to serve all of your fantasy and sci-fi needs with signed books, reprints, and the most amazing gift wrapping you could ever ask for. Make sure to visit them at thebrokenbinding.co.uk and tell them that the FFA crew sent you. And if you use the code FANFI, F-A-N-F-I, at checkout, you'll receive 5% off your next order. All right, now on to our panel with Hugh Howie and Duncan Swan. Here we go. Welcome everybody to episode two of SFF Addicts for our very first author panel, and I'm very very excited for the guests that we have today. Uh, first off, we have Hugh Howey. He's the world's first author-sailor hybrid. Um, although I think Herman Melville probably was as well, but I'll, I'll give it to you, Hugh. I think I think you deserve that title.
1: I think Elron and- Elron Hubbard was probably the most famous. Uh- <laughs> Sailor sci fi writer.
0: He does not count as an author, though.
1: Battlefield Earth is amazing. I recommend it to everybody.
0: He's a messiah.
1: If you don't start a cult after this, I'm going to be
2: disappointed. (laughs) There's money in it.
0: All right. Well, Hugh is the, he's mostly known for his best selling novel, Wool, uh, book one of the Silo trilogy. And his expansive bibliography includes a ton of books, including the Molly Fide saga, Dust, Sand, Beacon 23, and a whole lot more. Uh, Now his success as a writer has given him the chance to embark on a journey across the world, Uh, his second dream being sailing. So hitting the waters and writing books, and Hugh's life sounds very dreamy. So welcome, Hugh. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks. I don't know how dreamy. I'm I'm in a hotel room in Vegas right now, so.
0: Well, (laughs) that's, that's still a good dream, being able to travel around and write books. Yeah. Well, thank you for being with us. And our second guest is Duncan Swan. He's a living melting pot of cultures. Hello, sir. South African born and raised, Kiwi immigrant, Australian citizen, and now he's a permanent resident of the United States. Citizen. Um, I'm a citizen now. I got it. Bravo, sir. Well done. So
2: I've added that to my list of places.
0: (laughs) His uh, volume one of his debut novel, Monster, was released last September and is described by Duncan himself as sci-fi with claws and teeth. Or if Alien, World War Z, and Generation Kill had a three-win, a very dark place, which I think is a, a very very nice description. Yeah, I so prefer welcome, that one, <laughs> <Bit, bit laughs> rated, but it works. <laughs> it's very macabre, but I like it too. So welcome, Duncan. Thanks for joining us on the panel. No, thanks
2: for having me. It's great to be here.
0: And third up, we have my co-host Manny Henri joining us from Quebec. How are you doing, buddy?
3: I'm very very good, and I'm mm-hmm. going to do you.
0: You don't have to introduce me. I introduced myself in the intro. <laughs> but thank you all for being here. This is our panel on self-publishing and SPSFC, which is the self-published science fiction competition with Hugh and Duncan, who are both the co-founders of the competition. And uh, we're going to dig in that, into that a little bit later. But first off, we're going to talk to Hugh and Duncan about their about their work and and how they developed as writers, and then we'll get into self-publishing and finally into the competition itself so you guys ready to go
2: sure ready. Thing.
0: all right cool well uh hugh first off how's your current lifestyle uh how's everything going for you right now
1: that's going good um you know uh there's a pandemic uh still going on so uh everybody's dealing with that but uh it's been a lot different than i thought it was in all my post-apocalyptic writings um a little more A little more uh posh and the hairstyles aren't as cool as I thought they'd be. Um, uh, something I realized really early on that all these um, like Mad Max things get wrong is like how much care people put into their hair in those films. And uh, what we really saw was just people's roots grown out. You can tell how long like the pandemic been going on by how how far the dark roots were everywhere. So uh, um, yeah, learning a lot from this pandemic about writing the next one. But yeah, things are great. I've uh, been writing a lot and uh, working on some adaptation stuff, and uh, yeah, um, that's about it.
0: And how do you feel personally about about having your work adapted? You don't have to tell. You I, don't have to divulge too much. It. But how do you feel about the, the the sheer act of it being translated to the screen?
1: I'll divulge anything. You got ask me. Anything. I'll I'll uh... go for it, man yeah i'll talk about anything um uh i think it's amazing i'm not precious about my stuff i started letting people write fan fiction in these worlds and sell it you know a long time ago um so uh i i'm more into the collaborative storytelling tradition and uh don't uh no one's going to change the book so i think every medium should have its own opportunity to tell the same story in a different way so i've been like the i think the dream author for a lot of these uh um, producers who worry about, you know, upsetting I me. Mean, I'm the one in there in, in the room saying like, let's change this drastically. And everyone's like, whoa, let's like kind of stick to the material a little bit. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think it's super exciting. I assume nothing actually ever gets, gets made, but now we're uh, a week for principal photography on, uh, on wool. So uh, as I've seen to you guys earlier, if it's gonna, if the world's gonna stop it from happening now, it's gonna be an interesting, uh, it's gonna be fun to see how, fate engineers that because we're getting pretty close now yeah but i still don't believe it i'm not going to believe it until i'm like watching it on tv myself
0: no but i mean it must be amazing to be part of the process and and for you you sound like the type of author who's more interested in having like a conversation about their work in the sense that your part of the conversation is what you wrote but someone else's part of the conversation is a tv adaptation or or fan fiction or something along those lines
1: yeah, what I've learned from, from this and working in, a, uh, I think, like, three different writers' rooms now is that that's where I was I'm, I was meant to be. Like, writing books, I can do it, but it's painful. Um, I really enjoy the social aspect of uh, working on a TV show or a film with a bunch of other creative people. It's so much you, – you, like, you look forward to going into uh, – to write every day. And uh, with books, like, I get it done and I uh, can make the process interesting to myself, but, like, just – Getting started every day is is uh, really difficult, um, compared to like sitting down with a bunch of other people and tossing out ideas. Uh, like I'd much rather be doing this with you guys than sitting here talking to myself on camera. It'd just be boring.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you'd be talking to yourself about, but
1: same stuff. <laughs> exactly same thing.
0: <laughs> just telling everyone about the wool TV adaptation, but just alone. In, no,
1: in, more of the stuff time. that we're talking about before we started recording. Just like, <laughs> <laughs>
2: let me show you my starfish.
1: Yeah, more, more poop jokes.
0: More butt talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. we're all adults here. Just so everybody knows, we're adults here. One other thing that
3: that that I think we're going to make the connection to a little bit later on is about is about the fact that you published this independently as opposed to you know, take the path of traditional and now you you have a show and it it started from that that place where you you started writing you know novellas and and then people caught caught to it and then it became this big thing and now it's a show. That that I only can see the, the connection from that and now the contest that we're gonna be talking about later on. It must be like like there must be some pride behind that as well.
1: You know, I, what I, I'm just such a huge fan of, of creative people, um, in every kind of art form. And I just love watching people do, um, uh, stuff that they're passionate about that makes other people happy. Like when I see people playing an instrument or singing or dancing, I just get such a thrill out of it. Uh, it took me a while to realize that it was like such a, a huge, uh, um, love of mine that I uh because it's you, you know you have to compare yourself to other people to figure out what makes you tick and i realized that like i just geek out about people having talent especially if it's talent that i don't have um i see this as a huge opportunity for these writers just to get a handful of more readers and potentially hundreds or thousands more but for me a measure of the success of of this which um i can't wait to talk more about the contest especially get duncan talking about this because he's been such, he's been like the driving force behind this whole thing and he's going to change. No, but like, it's incredible. And it's going to change some, some people's lives is what I, what I hope. But like, I I just want to hear that, like one of our finalists or our grand prize winner gets this uh, optioned or makes a bestseller list or something that, that might not have happened to them otherwise, just because of this extra exposure. Um, That's what happened to me really early on. I got like a handful of fans and reviews that, increase my exposure and change the trajectory of the success of the series. And uh, if, if that can happen for one or two people every year that we do this, then uh, what a thrill. But I, I think what, what we can learn from Andy Weir and um, myself and some other people that have started self-publishing and then got uh, either book deals or film deals or TV deals is uh, you're, not, you're not closing yourself off by choosing how you publish. Uh, every path, the the outcome requires a miracle no matter which way you go, but the miracles are about the same in every direction. I don't think uh, there's a guarantee in any way, but what we've shown is that when someone says, well, if you do that, your career's over, we can just ignore those people. They're uh, they're trying to spread misinformation and uh, they're talking about their own fears or experiences, but I think we just need to like, you know, champion the, the positive potential, uh, uh, and you know let people know that chances are slim no matter what you do but the chances are still there and that gives me a lot of um, uh hope when i write a new piece because nothing's guaranteed but i always think well the sky's the limit for this
0: mhm for sure and and that kind of pessimism if it sort of seeps its way into into things like this it it tends to manifest and and accumulate like a virus you know it, if there's more positivity if there's um, a sense of com- camaraderie amongst the science fiction community, or in the case of um, uh, SPFBO, the fantasy community, it's people boosting other people. And if there's good work, and if there are people who say that's awesome, and I really like that, and they push that out there, even if it's a single tweet or if it's a blog, uh, writing a post about it or reviewing it or something along those lines, that that kind of positivity is enough to propel. Someone who might be writing for, might be writing for fun or might be writing for a hobby. It might be enough to convince them that I want to do this more seriously, and then they go further to create more awesome creative work. Yeah. Well, um, Duncan, we'll we'll jump over to you just to see how sure. you're doing and how's it's life.
2: Good. Life is life is good. Um, I mean, same as you and and many of the I'm glad we're coming out of this COVID thing because. Um, my dad to a two-year-old which meant i've basically been trapped indoors with a terrorist for the last year or so um, And it's it's nice to see the sunshine and other people again um so no it, it yeah it's uh, and i also happened to launch a book at the beginning of COVID, so it's been a very weird last two years year and a half um and then yeah i managed to i managed to rope you into this competition so i've managed to keep myself busy So things are, things are looking millhouse. I'm going to put it that way.
0: (laughs) Well, I think it's good that you're, that you're staying positive, even though you have a terrorist. Um, she's a cute terrorist. It's okay. It's okay. Dominating your days. You've managed to keep busy
1: and you've managed to,
0: to do some good things in the meantime.
1: like you have Stockholm syndrome. I think she's cute and stuff.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm a little bit biased, but no, I
2: mean, it's no, she, she's lovely. It's just, yeah, it's been, it was an adjustment. I'll, I'll say that much. Um, especially when everybody's been trapped indoors and you don't have childcare. i mean even the playgrounds around here were closed so finding a patch of grass was a challenge
0: yeah i mean my son was born last year during the pandemic and it's been it's been a weird time i mean thankfully we have a backyard so so we got a big patch of grass out there but i think the social aspect is something that's a bit yeah um, yeah a bit lacking and and we took him to a playground for the first time uh i think a week ago which was weird it was a weird experience everyone's kind of looking at each other like did you touch that should i touch that yeah but then no, you I realize think, your kids I think, I looking that, the handle anyway yeah so exactly like, <laughs> just a little I try, germ, I try just little like germ mops they just touch mm-hmm. everything and it doesn't really matter and then it goes in the mouth so yeah yeah
2: but now she got very good with hand sanitizer. It's amazing how much they pick up. I'm going okay, off have a tangent of books here. But, um, you know, I, I, I feel sorry for some of the families that had kids a little bit later in the COVID kind of period just because their kids weren't being socialized whatsoever. Um, and you can see it. You can see it in playgrounds now. I'm mean, not that I'm an expert, but you can kind of pick when the child kind of came into the world and therefore <laughs> didn't meet anybody for another year outside of their parents. So there's a bit of an adjustment period still going on
0: now. Yeah, their social skills are a bit stunted.
2: And we live in, I mean, I live in LA and we live in Playa Vista, which is like this, uh, what's that? The Stepford Wives kind of suburban perfection, you know, manicured lawn kind of area in LA and nothing else in LA exists like it. And it's also where basically everybody comes to reproduce. So there's kids everywhere. <laughs> 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 like, this baby it's like a spawning
1: it's like a spawning site honestly it it literally
2: is and then you know people kind of like tap out after two kids and then they move on and then the next bunch of
3: pregnant ladies move in that's where the idea of monster came from right
2: no no (laughs) just what end the end the world in darkness because of you know um no that that came that came like six years ago in in australia still so i can't blame it on the step wives area
0: well, actually, speaking of monster, I think it's a good time to to tell us a bit more about that. Sort of introduce your work and and a great book, how you good transition, Manny. Yeah, good transition. Good, yeah, good transition. And just uh, tell us a bit about how you developed as a writer and and how you came to be um, the person you are today in terms of in terms of an author. You don't have to
2: tell us. everything. Still developing as a writer, so I've got one under my belt and working on number two and number three is like the messiest draft you can imagine um but so i used to work i used to work in finance i'm gonna say that just before before quitting because i've i'm now basically balls to the wall all in on writing um and i used to work in finance and i dabbled in writing basically since i started and i realized half my brain was atrophying um so I, started, I just started writing in an Excel sheet in some of the cells. So if anybody, if anybody looked at me, it was in Excel. So I would just not really notice what the paragraph was doing, but I know it was saved in that history. So I could kind of at least exercise in my fingers and be my brain. and, and, That's and how, brilliant. How, uh, it, it was hit and miss because it became hella hard to manage and then you'd have to extract it from each cell and anyway.
1: Can't you just take that cell and then say, make a series and then does like a 10 book series out of it or something? Oh yeah. Just, just copy it down.
3: He probably <laughs> can do it. I, have you seen his Excel skills? It's, it's like. Yes, I have. It's well, amazing. Is there anything I,
2: I've retained here from I, my I don't get experience.
3: impressed easily, technically. And when I saw his Excel sheet, I was like, oh shit. And flow yeah.
1: charts and
0: yeah. I, I, I do like a chart. I do like it. Well, I mean, it's helpful for SPS FC. Yeah, it's, it helps, yeah. Yeah.
2: What's it? A picture's worth a thousand words. I mean, and <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been the litter puns all throughout here, but um, no, it's, uh, it, I had been kind of dabbling and then I, I was reading. Uh, so I started working, I was about 28. I did an undergrad and then I did a master's and then I went into finance just as, a, as the GFC hit. So I've had some interesting luck. Um, and basically as soon as I started working, uh, Brent Weeks came out and I started reading Brent Weeks and then I kind of stumbled across his website and stumbled across his Q and A, which I thought was incredibly, uh, informative in terms of how authors are real people and, you know, authors have lives and they kind of sit at home and they don't, you know, they don't disappear from underneath a rock. Uh, so he humanized the process for me, but I was also very much still only considering the, the traditional route. And then, you know, uh, our little crime lord here, Hugh, kind of popped up on the scene. And I read his wool and kind of it, it opened my eyes to maybe there's another route. Um, so I literally have him to thank for <laughs> thank blame. I'm not sure which one it is yet for, uh, for for trying this avenue and so far it's working. Um we'll see when number two and three comes out, but I'm I'm kind of glad I did the jump because We've got nothing ventured, nothing gained and finance finance was just it it was okay but it, i'd had bigger dreams and i couldn't see myself realizing them
1: in a, in a cubicle
0: no i think it's better that you branched out yeah
1: you have the right attitude about you know uh, to have the success you've had with your first book where you're where people are reading it talking about it is uh absolutely insane to me because like uh
2: what, what surprised me was that people like it i think that still surprises a first-time author is when you you invest this much time and effort in something and it, it's entirely living in your head and maybe you know your significant others read it and maybe a few friends have read it and maybe a, a couple of beta readers and your editor but then the wider audience in the world world it kind of gets exposed to it and when your average score is a is, is a high pass or a pass you you kind of have that validation that you didn't have before so that's i think that's the most I take that more than, um, more than people talking about it, but people liking it. The fact that people are talking about it is, is an added bonus.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, because like you, uh, you typically have to put several things out there before one of them gets any kind of traction. I think the, the authors who have their, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth work kind of start uh, going crazy or, or have some advantages because they've been able to have all this time to write and not think about. The promotion and everything else, and then there's a back catalog that's selling once something starts hitting. Yeah, that's
2: it's the back catalog because I've got I'm getting a lot of emails, which is a great thing as well. People sending emails to authors is still very new to me. Um, half of them are you know are full of praise, and the other half is like, "When the hell is number 2 I'm tired of waiting. So it's yeah, it's,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Many. <laughs> you haven't sent You should send me a draft of the book. Second book.
2: Uh, I'm I'm hoping. I'm hoping to have the draft kind of wrapped up by November, December. And then, then I'm definitely going to be peppering people's inboxes.
0: Can you wait until then, Manny? Can you be I, patient?
2: I was, I
3: was screaming two, three weeks ago,
2: where the hell is number two? Like, like, how can you
3: end this way? I was like, <laughs> I was, yeah.
0: Manny, anyway. he's not George RR R. Martin. Who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> Just wait.
1: <laughs> he's, a, he's a monster. I, my, my craziest story about that is, um, I, I uploaded a book one time and went to sleep and I like hit publish and uh, said something on social media like, just hit upload. Uh, you know, there's such a great feeling finishing a book and you've got at least one night where you can go to sleep and you're not thinking about your plot and your typos and all that stuff. I went to sleep and I woke up in the morning and there was a review on the book. Someone had downloaded it like in Australia. And spent took all day off work, spent the whole day reading it, and then wrote a review, and then emailed me asking when the next book was going to be out. And I had just woken up thinking, like, I've got like nothing on my <laughs> to do list today. Blank <laughs> document. My first email is like, loved it. When's the next one? Oh, it's just I better start writing again. There's no winning. so Was that Duncan? <laughs> no, <laughs> Duncan never emails me. Are you kidding? I just I just tweet
2: at you and yeah, you do it all publicly. I, mean, I do it all publicly. No, I th- actually funny story. I think I did email Hugh, but this is the this is this the same trap, and he's written posts on it since then. And I myself have learned since then. But you, especially considering he was like uh, he was the the trendsetter or the pathfinder, I was like, you know, what are the secrets? And it's it's you can't condense it in an email and ask a person how they found success. For themselves like okay, everybody has to kind of which is what i found find your own path a find something or somebody that you can that you admire and you can attempt to emulate but you're really going to have to do it your own way at some point um so no i mean I, I i joke that i get emails about people liking my work but i don't i don't get emails that i, I imagine you would get which is solve my life's problems and how do i be like you kind of thing so yeah, i never get those <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right, I'm going to send you one tomorrow.
0: Well, I think it's really interesting to to hear your side of the story, Duncan, in terms of how you entered into the self-publishing scene a bit later on and how you viewed it as an outsider before you came into it. Whereas Hugh, um you jumped into it much earlier on and so you obviously have a different perspective, but how how was it for you um you know, maybe introduce a bit of your a bit of your work and how that initial uh Introduction to the self-publishing world happened.
1: Well, so I think it's int- it is cool to have like two people coming in in different eras because I think it changed a lot between my first self-published work and Duncan's. Um, and uh, I think both of us had some advantages and disadvantages by doing it at different times. Um, when I did it, everyone just told me I was a complete idiot. I
2: still and, got that. Uh, Don't worry. That's still that's still valid. Yeah.
1: So. That's that's good that that still happens. Uh, and that's, everyone should get hazed that way. But I had so many people who had a lot more experience than I did in publishing tell me that if I did this, I would never have a career as a writer. And uh, um, there was no there were no precedents to point to to say like hey this is what's possible. Instead, I was just I I felt in my gut that what I was thinking was correct, and had everyone who knew anything about books and publishing telling me the exact opposite. Um, so, that, I think that was a disadvantage uh, when I was publishing myself. But the advantage was that not very many other people were doing it. So, we kind of um, had a, a lot of the landscape to ourselves. And I think the barrier to entry and what people would tolerate out of ebooks back then was much different than today. Uh, I did my own cover art. And it was awful. And you don't see cover art once you start reading it on the e reader. And people were clicking on it on Amazon anyway and just getting past that initial gag reflex when they would see. Uh, the cover art, and uh, and I, I don't think I don't think most most of what I published would have had any success if I did it today. Uh, but I would have also been less miserable with my decision to publish. So um, I, I don't know Duncan can speak to what it was like for him making that decision, but he at least probably had some interviews and some sales history from other people and things to look at. Uh, but he also, you know, was publishing on a day when you know, 5,000 other people published their books that day.
2: Yeah. Saturation, saturation, I think is probably the biggest thing that's changed and, and the ease of uploading a book and having, I mean, go on uh, i even for the people that invest in an editor, editor and formatter and a cover artist, et cetera, you're still dealing with just sheer volume, um, that you somehow need to differentiate, differentiate yourself against and, and you know, rise above or have something that kind of puts you as a, as an outlier. Um, but then, like kind of you alluded to, we've had all these other people go through it beforehand and, and give good examples to either follow, ignore what worked, what didn't. Um, how can I change what is already happening or modify it so that it's, it's, you know, it suits my personality or what I, my strengths lie to? Like I personally don't blog, don't think I ever will blog. I attempted to blog sound too much like a narcissist. So I stopped. Like I just I, I don't like talking about myself, but I very much enjoy the visual aspect of storytelling. So I, I kind of like dived head on into the art aspect and I try surround myself and work with artists um, to, to create visuals, etc. And I've approached most of, therefore, my journey through, you know, what, what's the first um, introduction people are going to have to me? Is it, is it a website? Is it a cover? um it a piece of concept art that they found on pinterest that somebody's pinned because they liked i mean you know spread my net as wide as possible in something that i think that i understand and something i think i've got an eye for just not traditional training in um and then yeah it's um, i'm also kind of a bit of a a data nerd so when i don't know who you you did it with Hugh, but there was a guy a couple of years ago who was doing a bunch of sales analysis on your amazon sales and a You blogged about him a couple of times. I forget the details, but we'd break down. uh, We
1: we ran that website, Author Earnings, together. That's the one. Uh, That's the one. It went by Data Guy. Uh, He was staying anonymous and people couldn't attack him. But uh, it was super controversial when we started first publishing those results. I was going to a lot of book conferences back then, and I had uh, people in in publishing, like, you know, pretty high up in, in the big five at the time. Uh, Would just come up and just be, you know, angry, and and traditionally published authors who were just really upset at um, at us trying to kind of like, I don't know, let some people bypass the pain that they went through to get published. I think I still see some of that out there today, where people feel like they should have to pay their dues. But uh, yeah, he he did all that work on his own, and then just we we launched a website uh, together and blogged about the results in order to try to. Get people a glimpse of what was happening in the in the midlist of self published authors, which there was very little data on at the time.
3: Is this is is this how you guys first met? Is this is this when you guys got to kn- to know each other?
1: I don't get a answer that. I think we have only just uh, become uh, close through working right. on SPSFC together.
2: Was that sorry? Was that a Hugh question with the data guy? Or was that a Hugh and me question? I think it goes you and me question. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Was- <laughs> um, you
2: know, yeah that, so that, that's an. SPS. We're still in
1: our. We're still in the infancy of our romance. We're
2: okay. not even holding hands yet. That's pretty disappointing.
1: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> just like, gazing longingly just, at each other.
1: Yeah.
2: It's, it's, like, it's like an, eye contact is huge for me. It's that it's that <laughs> meme where he's walking with a girl and I'm walking behind and he's looking back over his shoulder. Um, <laughs> no. It, so obviously I've been following Hugh's story for a long time, but then. Last year, when I was getting ready, so I, I published in September, and as I was leading up to that, um, SBF SBFBO self-published fantasy blog-off competition. Probably not a competition I added that part. Um, was, was being hosted for the sixth time, or was it the seventh? Last year
3: was six. Yeah. Last
2: year was six. Um, so that popped up on my radar, and I'd also only just started started twitting and twatting. Um, which is where I basically got exposed to it and following reviewers. And, and I realized, hell, this is a really nice idea. Like this, it's, it's run by somebody who I've read their books and like their books. And I really like this champion of self-publishing and it's, it's giving lots of exposure to books that I wouldn't have known of. I mean, I'm jumping ahead as well. But one of, the, one of the reviewers, actually I think it's you guys or FanFi, uh, introduced me to Michael R. Fletcher. Who is
3: it's probably us? Yeah, I think it was you guys. <laughs> uh, yep, yeah. um, we've been talking a lot about I'm pretty certain. No, I'm pretty certain it was you guys. So,
2: yeah, I, got, I saw his cover and I was like, that looks interesting. And I realized he was a finalist and then read his book and thought this is spectacular. So, I've read his whole catalog now, except for his most, his Noyoska groans. Um, and then there was an SBFO Twitter thread with Mark Lawrence and him kind of chatting. And I was like, oh, God, do you guys know if there's a sci fi version of this competition? Because it sounds absolutely spectacular. I would love to enter in it. And Mark's like, no. Um, (laughs) I think he was a bit busy. (laughs) And and Fletcher was like, no, but you know, I would love to be involved in it, but I'm not famous. Famous enough and nobody cares who I am. And I was like, ah, and I just left it. Sorry, no, I lie. That's this year. Last year, Mark just said kind of no. And then this year it popped up again. And Fletcher was in it again. And I was like, okay, so seeing you around a few times, you know, I would love to do a sci-fi one. And he, he said, no, he would also, but he's not famous enough. At which point in time I went, well, I think I know somebody who might be a famous enough, be possibly interested. I just have to annoy him. So I, I tweeted at Hugh and I said, uh, is this something that you might be wanting to do? And, and luckily enough, he said yes. And since then, we've That's been amazing. making it up as we go. But uh, so far it's going pretty well, I think.
1: Yeah, except there's a there's a flaw in your strategy here. Like you wanted this to exist, you could enter a book into it, and you know, it's it misqualifies yourself. So.
2: And
3: I actually um, asked him that question: Are you going to enter? He's like, "What? No,
2: <laughs> no." He asked me the same thing, and I was like, "I can't. I, like." I,
1: I wish this. I composition- thought he should hmm. put a different name on it, and like, and not, don't even tell me about it. Like, <laughs> just totally like make it blind.
2: The, the problem is, I think it's 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 now. It's been visible enough and spoken of enough that people would read it and instantly know this idiot's just renamed his book in his own competition. Yeah. What a dickhead. So, no, I, <laughs> I, I didn't go that route. Um, you know, Someone yeah, would we'll
0: pick it up and say, Alien, World yeah. War Z. What's this ripoff? You know, somebody's ripping Generation up your book, Duncan.
2: Want, well, this is it has dark a threat. French name. I could have put my
3: name on it. It would have worked. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of the, like, what, Catch-22, but in the, in the same breath. I'm creating something with, with a whole bunch of people. There's 59 reviewers. Um, so there's what, 60, am I forgetting when you want? 59 reviewers plus Hugh and myself. 61 people working on this from scratch for free, for the love of books and self-publishing and sci-fi. And um, you know, Hugh and I have already spoken about this, obviously, you know, rivaling the Hugos and the Nebulas one day just for self-publishing. So we have lofty goals. Um, and it's something we want to do every single year. So in my eyes, it's win-win. I mean yeah, I, I've because I'm like most authors on on Amazon, I view my KDP on most days. I can already see it's had an impact. So I'm I'm not complaining. Right?
0: And so far the response has been really good. And honestly, I think after so many years of SBFBO, there are a lot of people who think where is the sci-fi version? You know, there needs to be there needs to be the champion of sci-fi. Just I was convinced it
2: existed. That's why I was like, "There's no way that I'm that this this isn't out there." I just don't know what it's called. You know, clearly, somebody with more uh, experience and knowledge will can you know point me in the right direction. And apparently, at least in the US, we might be one of the you know first mover advantage kind of groups, competitions.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think it's really once again we talked about positivity earlier and just sort of spreading the message about sci-fi that you like. And if there's an opportunity for people who are starting out with their first book or, or one of their first few books, and they don't really have the, the self-confidence to, to push themselves out there as, as a full-fledged author or anything like that, or maybe even go towards traditional publishing, there's this competition that offers them the opportunity to say, fuck it, I'm just going to put it out there. And, and if people like it, they like it. But then there's reviewers like us who are looking at those books and saying, this is actually really good. And then give that encouragement and feed back into the industry some positivity that it really needs.
2: And it's, it's also that exposure that, as far as I can tell, because I haven't done the route, is, is possibly the only real big advantage of going traditional is that they've got a big marketing machine behind you. And they will ensure... If they think your book is good, and if they think you're going to earn out your down payment, so your advance, that they'll put you in bookstores enough to at least recoup costs. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, for your self-publishing guys, you 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 are on your own unless you can find champions or people that will share your message, or you know, reviewing groups and bodies and bloggers and and booktubers who you know, rave emphatically about how well you wrote X Y Z. Um, so, competitions like this, I guess, is another way for kind of that exposure to come through, and also remove the stigma of self-publishing like the the quality yeah. you know if you look at the the books that that win spfbo or if I, i'm all this every time
1: is <laughs> our, ours, ours to say? i feel like we should spsfc we should is way easier to out. say i, than I think SPFBO. it feels like it's easier yeah. to me as well so so we have we have we have a build that
0: my trick for spfbo is to think of sunscreen and then i can at least start it so it's like spf and then i just do the rest Enough. Yeah, so I have, to, I have to think of sunscreen in order to, <laughs> to get anywhere with it. But that's actually a really good jumping off point. Um, Duncan, what's your, what's your take on as far as what you've experienced, but also what you've witnessed before you even entered the industry? And then, Hugh, you can jump in after. What do you think of self publishing versus traditional publi- publishing in terms of maybe drawbacks or, or any kind of comparisons that you can think of?
2: My biggest two, three four factors, maybe three, four. Uh, time, uh, ignoring luck. I mean, you're going to need luck in both. Uh, you, like, you, you're just going to need luck in timing. You know, is, is the market ready for your book? Does, does the reader, reviewer, editor, agent, whatever, whoever's reading your book, see the potential and et So, um, But ignoring that, I think the, the bigger detractors for me for self-publishing was just time. Like, You write a book that could take you four years, five years, three years, whatever it is. And then you submit it. And then you might sit in a slush pile for three years, unless you know somebody who's on that editor's desk. And then it might take, I don't know, another three years before it might show up on a shelf. And it's this, from, from start to kind of possible payoff is a decade to even know if people like your work enough to continue doing it. Um, and the other catch to that as well is you, you sign over you know, you sign over royalties and you sign over creative rights uh, to not just your print media, possibly, but to, you know, your movie, TV rights, et cetera, any kind of adaptation. And then in most parts, at least recently, the advance that you get, I don't know what they were in the past, but I know they're not necessarily significant now. So it's what's the, what's the payoff? And I always always looked at it, which is why I didn't do it for so long. Is if like, I'm going to take this huge, huge risk and invest all this time and effort and pain and blood and suffering.
3: And research.
2: And research. Why would I, and I thought of it as like a relay, you know, why would you hand over the baton at the finish line and say, you finish it for me? Right. Um, Yes, Mm. it might take me a little bit longer. I'm going to have to learn marketing. I'm going to have to learn branding. I'm going to have to find, you know, uh, 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 traditional publishers will also go, here's your cover. Here's a cover artist. You like it. And then you go, I I, I like it, I guess. Whereas self-publishing, you can really, be as involved as you want or woman well, I the more involved you are the better it is i think in the long term but you can go shop around for people that you know, what we try to do is cuz my wife and i consider this as a business is basically find people and and skill sets that we don't have that can then complement this if it was a business and you know if and and kind of go all in in that regard
1: was that two points or three points you're still on the first point. I'm
0: still on the first point.
1: <laughs> nah, I'm just with you.
0: It's okay. Just keep talking. Time and money.
1: Making you know her to think even deeper. Time, or money Hugh, and
0: Hugh, Hugh, jump in for a second if you, if you have some comments.
1: Uh, I, I th- These are all points I agree with. Um, I think the time is a huge one. Um, I, I kind of had it as a goal when I started off to write for about 10 years and do two books a year. And I thought after 20 novels self-published, I would know if I have a chance of making a career at this and that could be what it takes to put one book out, um, go the traditional route. Um, and, uh, it only took, you know, uh, three or four years to figure out that I really liked this and could get a handful of readers that didn't necessarily mean that I was make a career out of, it, but I realized that I enjoyed it, would do it the rest of my life and would be happy to have the dozen or so readers that I picked up along the way. Um, and, uh, I think some of the advantages like getting into a bookstore are nice, but like I was working in a bookstore when I started self-publishing and I realized that books in a bookstore sit there for three to six months and then they're gone unless they become a perennial seller, which is almost never. So that advantage, I think we oversell it to ourselves as, as aspiring writers. We think that publishers are going to put us in a bookstore and will be there forever. Uh, even if they distribute the book, not every bookstore will order a copy. More and more people are finding their books online or at very small footprint bookstores like in airports. You're never going to get in there unless you win like five lotteries in a row. So um, a lot of the things that we say are advantages uh, aren't big enough to make a difference. And then, of course, advances. Um, again, working in a bookstore helped me out that I was meeting all these authors coming in to give talks. And I've, I found out they all had day jobs. They all taught creative writing somewhere or you know, had some other career. Because even if they were winning awards and hitting bestseller lists, they were making $50,000 every uh, year and a half to three years. And uh, you can't live off that. And they, you know, no health insurance, no benefits, no paid vacation. So uh, the more I learned from inside the publishing industry, the more I realized that the things that we hold as advantages aren't that great. I, I eventually started seeing going the traditional route as. It used to be that we call it self-publishing, vanity publishing, or vanity presses, um, because it was all about the vanity of seeing your book in print, and you'd have to buy, you know, five thousand copies that sat in boxes in your garage, and you sold out of your, the trunk of your car, and that was uh, all money that you paid. And once self-publishing became practically free, which uh, you can spend money on it, cover art, editing, and, and you should if you can afford it. But if you can't afford it, I was did everything myself uh, for years and all the pagination for print books all the uh ebook formatting all the uploading the cover art everything I did myself um so it is possible it's just uh it's just hard but the the finances don't preclude your ability to get your work out there and then I realized that the vanity publishing was no longer self publishing the vanity publishing now was traditional publishing um going with a big publisher became uh like a a badge of honor for authors and something you aspire to not for financial reasons but because people would take you seriously or you felt good about yourself. I one of the crazy things for me was uh being with I think I was we were at random house and they were offering me all this money for for wool at the time and I was turning them down because my sales were better than what they are offering. And at the end when they realized they had no financial um uh motivation they said but wouldn't you love to say you're published by random house and that's when i realized like oh god it really is a vanity press at this point they're 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 admitting it to me so um yeah things have things have changed and i think uh we shouldn't look down on any uh path to publication unless it's like a total scam or something that's totally author unfriendly instead we should just uh talk about the pros and cons and let people know up front like what they're because if if you want to be with a traditional publisher and it and it means taking a lot longer and finding an agent and um maybe not even making as much money, but because you want to see your book in a bookstore for a little bit and it feels good to be have the validation of a publisher, it's not nothing wrong with those motivations at all. Um, I just think it's good for people to understand what to expect out of each, each path and for us to encourage all authors, however they choose to publish.
0: And I think the blog post that you did um, about the f- financial side of self-publishing is the kind of thing that obviously there are publishers that get pissed off about that kind of thing because it's kind of pulling the rug from under their feet, where they realize, you know, their business model exists on, like you say, the veneer of 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 name recognition of being pushed into bookstores, all that kind of stuff. But when you see the financials of a lot of self-published authors and they're killing it. And they're doing a really good job. And obviously, they've had to put it a ton of work, but they've accrued skills that they need in order to to navigate the market. And obviously, the big traditional publishers, they take care of a lot of that stuff, but they also take away a lot of the choice.
2: Well, you're, you're paying for it. I mean, you're paying for that skill set, exactly. basically. You know. Right.
0: Yeah. But for you to, to show the financial side of it is to give people a window and to say, this is possible to do on your own. It's not necessary that you need a big publisher to, to push your stuff out there. If you believe in it and you think it's awesome, you know, obviously now we have SPSFC and SPFBO, but I nailed it, didn't I? <laughs> that was impressive. <laughs> Duncan just gave me the, the most cheeky slash impressed look. So thank you for that. Anyone watching video will see that. Um, I think that that is more um, welcoming and it reduces the barrier to the industry in a way that that so many people neglected the potential of what they could do just based on the fact that they thought I can only make it if I go to one of the big five
2: well it's, it's daunting you're trying to and and he's been doing this and i think we'll continue to do this with the competition and 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 people like us talking these things but you're just trying to peer peel that you know that veneer away and kind of look at the workings that go on underneath and i think because you're self-pub you have to kind of wear a lot more hats We become more vocal about it and we uh the champion you know it's it's not something you have to basically give up control of to in in the hope that you know, you'll, you'll find it big with a traditional publisher it's just a question of i mean you both are going to hurt and both are going to take time and pain and uh, investment but w- one of them i mean you know, both need luck so why not why not bet on yourself as opposed to uh, another company that will not necessarily keep pushing your books long term as once you've once you've earned out of a contract you know that might be it for you, you you might still end up going self-published route because you just didn't have as good a sales or you weren't you know you weren't front of shelf in a in a big bookstore um, and then you're still also you know left to your own devices to organize your own you organize your own blog tours and reading events and it's it's very much a it seems if like you're very much a hands-off kind of traditional route anyway
1: i think i think what's shocking for a lot of authors who finally get that traditional Uh, deal is that their marketing relies on you anyway. Like a lot of this, I don't want to do any of that stuff. If you say that to a publisher, you're not going to get signed. Uh, Even when I was doing deals, like and to this day, when I do deals, publishers want to know, you know, how many Twitter followers you have Uh, and what your, what are your marketing plans and how are you going to get the word out? They rely on their authors. So um, it's, it's such a fantasy that there's a career out there where you write a book and hand off the manuscript to someone else and you don't do anything else. Like there's, there's work involved. And I think, we shouldn't um, lionize or celebrate authors who don't learn all these other things. Like, even I do a lot of traditional publishing deals, but like, why would you be an author and not be curious about how books are put together? Um, uh, you know, every decent painter knows how to stretch a canvas on. You know, like screw a wood frame together, stretch a canvas, gesso it. Um, how to control, like, what what color lighting you want to present your work under? Um, to, you know, light temperature. Uh, is something that artists who actually take it seriously make a career out of it understand. Um, and uh, why would the same not be true of books? Like, if you don't know what kerning is as an author, then you're you're dabbling. You're not you're not taking. You know, how are you not interested in 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 books as an author? So uh, I think we should just encourage the 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 whole publishing uh, cycle and let people geek out about um uh you know what what trim sizes are and the history of of different book formats and what windowing is and all these um the more you learn about publishing the more fascinating it is and that it it, it there was a long time where self-publishing was the option and what people did they they financed the publication of their own books and uh did that for hundreds and hundreds of years and uh the history of publishers is is really fascinating, and why they set up in New York in order to grab these newspapers coming from overseas and steal, uh, uh, you know, basically plagiarize uh, serialized works and stuff from from uh, uh, wooden ships. Like, there's just uh, it's such a good story. It's crazy to miss out on it. But I, I think it's fantasy that um, anyone's going to have success in this industry without knowing how to market and promote themselves and have relationships with other. Uh, authors and industry professionals. It's just all part of the game.
0: Yeah. And I think even regardless of whether you go traditional publishing or in self-pub, there has to be, like you say, Hugh, this sense that we're going to geek out. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be multidisciplinary in every single facet of the publishing process, but to understand at least different aspects to the point where you're fascinated by it and you're interested in it. And this is everything that goes into creating this thing that you're putting out into the world. If you're not passionate about that stuff, then it might not be for you. And if you know the history, if you know the process involved in creating a book or the process involved in, in creating a book cover or converting converting a file into an ebook format or anything like that. It's just, it, it, regardless of, of what profession you're in, it deserves the attention and the passion of whoever's involved to actually know the intricacies of, of that, of that art form. I think that's
2: also a good indicator of whether you can keep doing it. Is if you don't mind the administrative stuff that, that surrounds it. And to you, it's interesting as opposed to a chore. Um, because yeah, I mean, I love going down rabbit holes that have nothing to do with writing but have to do with publishing, etc. And sometimes I'm like, I spend way too much time not writing, but I don't mind these other these other tasks. I guess you could say knowledge, knowledge bites.
0: Well, in that sense, do you obviously this is kind of um, steering into if you're a self-published author in reality, like Duncan has said earlier, you're a business. And you have to sort of think of yourself as an artist and a creator, but also as a business and promoter and marketer all jumbled into one. So for both of you, Hugh and Duncan, how have you sort of balanced that, that creative side versus the business side?
1: Duncan, you go
2: first. Well, I started on OnlyFans account, just to kind of...
1: <laughs> no. Um- uh, let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> Duncan, you... Why are you not parlaying the fact that you're like the handsomest guy in publishing right now? Like, I feel like you should have more of a, <laughs> more of a, give me, I'll be on a today. Was, presence. Today USA. I'll be on morning TV shows
2: at some point. No, um, no, that, but you don't like, want to go you should on be that doing crap it now.
1: Everything should be YouTube with you. And just like the, com- the front cover should just be your face. And then the, t- you know how the back of a Harlan Coben novel is just like his big bald head. Oh no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you should put that on the front Monster I, I, I Monster
3: Volume 2 with Duncan's face this
0: is one of my favorite authors oh, he's okay, not I, thought
2: you, I thought you dug up something else from my past but you didn't, I'm okay We have got some nude photos of you
0: they're out there, they're probably out yeah. <laughs> this is one of my favorite authors he's not handsome, but look what he does with his books that's
1: that's, that's, brave. Duncan, that's brave he
0: needs a cat that's,
1: I've got my cat that's what you should
0: do that that William uh, Gibson nice. he oh. fucking owns who he is yeah you gotta know your you strengths. need to do the same <laughs> well, yeah, I mean,
2: yeah, if, if the next book can you imagine I slap myself on the back of no it doesn't even I mean this is this is this is my book I don't think I belong on the back
1: of that so you're being you're being too humble uh i i think i will uh, look uh, for the next, no, next I'll, one I'll,
2: I'll have signed poster full-length body shots of me and probably <laughs> autographed as
0: have it like a mid like a middle spread you know so you can just plates, unfold uh, it book plates you, with signatures yeah. or you, you can you can unfold it from the middle of the book and then and then the it's book just is free out. the book is free the book plate's 500
2: bucks like so yeah, make a business doing that instead
1: no but all, all joking aside i i found a lot of success from um from letting readers be a part of of my life, like um, connect with me on Facebook and and Twitter and on the blog, and uh, and then I realized that I've, I'm the same way as a consumer. Like when I can have some kind of connection with the people who make the stuff that I enjoy, it makes me enjoy their work even more. Like it's uh, it, it augments it. And so you know, earlier Duncan, you were just saying that you, you feel narcissistic about blogging. Um. What? I think you have to get I think you have to get over that a little bit Maybe. because I mean, I,
2: I've attempted it. it's more just I I, I did at least at the, at the time when I started out I definitely didn't feel knowledgeable enough to even begin to write about writing because I was still learning how to write so I felt I felt like any advice or viewpoint that I gave was going to be so narrow and biased and anecdotal that it's going to be irrelevant so to continue writing blog posts about it as I'm what I'm, I'm just repeating myself at this point um so yeah, I, it's maybe, I mean, narcissistic's the wrong word. I just, it didn't, I don't write easily in blog format, whereas I can create a world and that to me is flows more easily. And it's something I, I want to do as opposed to I mean, pick a topic and, and write about it and see how many blog views I get. It, it, it doesn't, it's not something that I naturally gravitate towards. I, yeah, I admire I people you. that do. I mean, I wouldn't be here were it not for you blogging. Um, but I think maybe I can give value back in some other way. No, you're definitely doing that.
3: Or maybe tell your story. I mean, when you and I met the first time, you were talking about how you got inspired by some movies, or or what, who, which artists actually did some monsters and mm. that kind of fulfill the, the, the front, front end of your website. And that's and actually, actually, that's how I got inspired to read your book. I saw all the designs of the that monsters. Was, that was
2: the idea. That was the and idea. I
3: was like, oh, shit, I got to read that. This is a great well, lead way. Because I loved, I loved uh, what was the name of the Tom Cruise movie you mentioned? Um, Edge of Tomorrow? Edge of Tomorrow. Oh my God. What,
2: I love that movie. My favorite movie in years. Cheers. I thought I was going to have a heart attack in the, in the theater.
1: What's, what's great about that film is if you hate Tom Cruise, you're going to love this well, then, movie because he just it. dies over and over again. That's great. It's
2: rewarding in every level.
1: You nailed if, it. If you love Tom Cruise the way I do, then it's just great he's because he's like – Because he looks stupid
2: a, for half
3: the and movie. He goes,
1: but he goes from like being a slub <laughs> to like, Kicking uh, ass. a world saver. I, I, I love that film. My favorite part I about that movie –
0: my favorite part about that movie is it's essentially Tom Cruise running more than he's ever run before. And that man can run <laughs> so well. He runs so he well.
3: <laughs> so maybe um. you start doing that on your blog, like telling the stories behind, behind what inspired you to write monster or what are your struggles with writing this, the third volume. Or- I, did,
2: I did a, I did a bunch of interviews, funnily enough, which are on YouTube somewhere. Uh, but I did a bunch of interviews for the book launch where I basically spoke to the people that kind of helped me through the process, like my editors, because I've got two. Um, a whole bunch of artists that I worked with, the designers. Like I worked with a designer who did uh, a bunch of like uh, alternate covers, and then I had them help me with my website, etc. Um, and so it's kind of I'm much happier picking their brains about their process and and kind of trying to work out how they work so that I can work with them better next time. And it's all been this lovely learning process. Um like even just when we first started it's a question of how do you do the title on a book and then what font do you choose and then how do you do an author tag and what is an author tag and um how do I brand this so I can use it on all my books and so that it you know it, it will sit in that genre that I want to continue writing in. Um but yeah, I, I did a bunch of interviews with them and that was fun and I'd love to revisit it, but I, yeah, I think I think YouTube's probably been the best the best invention in that for me.
0: So for you, potentially, in terms of the business side of things, you found more success in not necessarily blogging, because that's not really, that's not really your thing as, as a way of promotion, but more so that you found finding the right people to collaborate with has been your, your best tactic from a business perspective.
2: Yeah. And, and also, I, I'm personally a visual person. And when I was creating Monstre, it's a very much in, it very much lived visually in my head. And I thought, hell, it's a really interesting world. I would love to see it um the odds of seeing it on the big screen are pretty small i mean Hugh can attest to the journey to get to this kind of point um but i'd love to see art about it and i think uh what a destiny the game had just come out and they did a big push with concept art and that's the first time that i remember of AAA studio really spending a fortune on concept art that was then publicized if not more than the game and that's what the game basically was marketed on um and I don't know. Maybe I was twenty or thirty thousand words into Monstru at the time, and I thought, "Why don't one books do this?" And they don't do because it's expensive. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I was like, "Well, this is going to take me a few years anyway. Why not, as I go, chip away at kind of building a catalog and and finding artists that I think would nail a specific skill or a specific style, whether it's you know a matte, matte painting or if it's a three z brush sculpt or if it's a, you know, a graphic novel cartoon." art style um and then kind of you know have them as as posters for a book and have people maybe stumble across it that way and just hook your interest and then have them have them wanting to find out more and i kind of then gravitated towards that and put most of my focus on that and that's therefore what i use the website for i'm like you need an author website which i was get continuously being told but i was like i don't know what i'm gonna do on it like you know i didn't want to blog but what can it be a home for that then still sells the book and sells my vision. And it, it, I've kind of trying to interlink them and, and use the business aspect that way so, you know, it's, it has a usage, um, and it's something that I'm already interested in. So now I just need to find better ways to display it. And, the, yeah, the, the arts, the way that I've gone for this and hope to keep going. And, um, my 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 biggest question is: Once I'm done with Monstre, what do I write next that lets me keep doing what I'm already enjoying and and continue to use the people that I've got good relationships with now?
0: No, I think that's really I think that's a really good approach because what you're doing is using the the self-publishing um sort of world as a launching point for you to bring your different passions together. You happen to find that your passion for art worked really well as a collaborative and, and marketing tool for for the book, and you got to work with some really cool people at the same time.
2: Yeah, I've worked with some amazing people. I mean, far more famous than I am, um, and you know, they, they got some great credentials. Like I work with when I work with guys who work for like uh, Sony, Sony Games, etc., or work for Marvel. You know, Marvel as their biggest clients, etc. So I've got these amazing people in my corner who I can kind of t- tweet at now and.
1: I've always thought that authors should should have a partnership or one it's like Serena de Bergerac. One person does the writing and then the other person does all the marketing and they're the face of the partnership. And uh I would have totally picked someone like Duncan just to like do all the PR and be the face of the thing in the in the sexy accent, and I'll just do all the writing. Confused (laughs)
2: accent. The confused accent.
0: Well actually it's interesting. I was talking to my wife recently about um just the, all the author interviews that I've done and sort of my introduction into this world and realizing authors are generally I can't I can't generalize this overall, but for the most part, in terms of my experiences, authors are super nice people, very humble. And you're new to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. You you haven't met Stephen no, King yet. I'm just I'm just optimistic. <laughs> I'm just optimistic. But anyways, the have you, have the you met Gary on Twitter yet? No, I've met some people on Twitter though. Oh Jesus!
1: Speaking of Twitter, that's that's like that's like the the audible impersonation of Twitter, right there.
0: <laughs> it's true. But there's a really interesting parallel between a movie and the people who create a movie, and then who becomes the face of the movie is different. Whereas for a book, the person who created the book isn't necessarily the face of the book. The book itself is the face of the book. Um, so there's this interesting parallel between who looks at a book and thinks ah that looks interesting based on the cover but then they look at the author's name and they want to look at the author's face or something like that it doesn't really connect what, in that what, way
2: what, what hooks me on a book or the author of the book is literally the acknowledgements at the back that's often the most you know kind of revealing part about the author that you're reading are they gracious are they you know are they complimentary do they acknowledge the journey do you want to come back and read more um I think yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always very interested when an author includes a picture at the back, but I'm much more interested in in what they actually say in the acknowledgments component. So, I didn't know anybody read that part. I always read them. I've start no. I did. not I lie. I lie. I started reading them after Brent Weeks. I'm a fanboy him for a bit as well. He read uh, was it his night's Night Angel, Night Angel trilogy? Is that the one?
0: Don't. Uh,
2: anyway, I think it was his first book, <laughs> and I read his acknowledgments, and I was like, okay because he, he, I wish I could remember what he said as well, but I felt it was really heartfelt and interesting. And I was like, wow, this is a real person. Um, Let me go find out more. And that's, that's what led me into actually going and researching the guy and finding his website and then regularly going back for updates. And I don't think he even had a picture on the back, but yeah, it was the acknowledgement. So now I kind of make it a, an extra effort to read what people have said at the back, especially considering I've been through this journey as well.
1: Um, God, now that you've, now that you've said that, I want to write like the most self-centered, obnoxious acknowledgement, uh, and just like just acknowledging myself in every way possible and taking full credit.
2: I'm so happy for me. Yeah. I deserve this kind of thing.
1: <laughs> make, yeah.
3: Make, make sure they include that on the Apple TV show.
1: The first thing will just be like, "Wow, is that the best thing you've ever read or what?" <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> competitions over, people. You can all stop writing. <laughs> exactly. Like you're probably thinking about what to read next. Like you should just read this again. Like this is the last book you should ever read.
0: Just reread it over and over again until you die.
1: It'll just be for Duncan. He'll be the only one who actually reads the thing and would be like, I cannot believe I ever collaborated with this God, guy on anything.
0: Asshole. I thought he was an in- asshole. Well, actually speaking of that, there's there's obviously the difference when you have a physical book and, and you can see the cover, probably there's the name recognition of the author. But what is it from from your, your perspective, Hugh and Duncan, the thing that grabs your attention about uh, a self-published book, or an ebook or something like that, where, where is that specific, that specific draw coming from? Because it's a lot harder when you're on Amazon or some other platform to really think, oh, wow, like, this is something new. And I just dig into it and figure out what it's all about.
1: I'm, as for, as someone who had terrible cover art for many years, I'm a sucker for great cover art. Um, And that will at least get me to start reading the sample. What I love about Amazon is that uh, I can sit and read the first few pages um, of any book with, without, you know, uh, I I do it in the uh, browser, not on my Kindle actually will shop through stuff and you can click the cover of most self-published books and start reading the first few pages. I know within two paragraphs, uh, not if it's going to be a great story, but if this person has a voice that I can sink into and and want to read more of, so I would say the first thing I click, first thing I see is how beautiful the cover art is, just the design and the quality of it makes me think if the person thought that was good, we share some uh, aesthetic choices. And then uh, once I click, I you know get, I'll give any book a page, and uh, from there it's up to them to decide when i should stop reading
0: (laughs) and duncan what about you yeah it's saying it's
2: it's it's the old cliche but you really do judge a book by its cover the question nowadays is how do you see covers i mean i don't go into physical bookstores that that often anymore it's
0: all thumbnails now
2: yeah well but also i mean you used to i used to enjoy the experience of going into a bookstore and perusing certain sections and seeing a cover that that I was either familiar with somebody had mentioned it or it stuck out and therefore reading the the back blurb and then reading a couple of pages whereas now I mean I've got the old school uh Kindle Paperwhite so there's no color on it either so I lose all the cover appeal um but I'm still getting that exposure through Twitter and and, and reviewers so I'm seeing, I'm seeing the covers that way and that's what's it's kind of cluing me on to go digging um because I mean, I mean Amazon suggestion algo seems to be garbage for me as well so I get suggested.
1: It, it used to be good for me. I don't know what's
2: happened. I get suggested like, forty books. Th- on I the think same it was a author, few years ago. I get like
1: yeah, nothing else. It's, something's something's changed. But I used to it used to be pretty reliable. That if it suggested a book based on my the purchase history, it was it worked really well. Yeah, I've I've read like <laughs> I, read, I
2: read maybe uh, three or four uh, Ellie Modicer Junior books a couple of years, a couple of months ago now, and that's literally I. That's all. If I'm going on Amazon shopping is that's four pages of the suggestions for me and I have to keep going down to the sixth page to find something different. So no I yeah I, I rely on Twitter and, and and the cover to really kind of catch my eye and then like you said you read your, your first paragraph and then the first page etc and if I'm hooked I'm hooked and if not well we didn't cost or me blog anything. reviewers. And yeah reviewers. <laughs> uh.
0: Well actually the speaking of the Amazon algorithm I I think it's very interesting that Obviously, Amazon is the biggest platform for self-publishing, but it also, uh, contrary to a lot of, actually no, I would say traditional publishing is also at the whims of of Amazon. But what do you think of the way that that um, Amazon and other self pub platforms organize their stuff, but also how the algorithms recommend stuff to people and and provide visibility? Because I think that, um. Causes a lot of confusion for people, but it also causes a lot. uh, It also contributes to the oversaturation of the market, I think, because a lot of people are trying to push in order to get into the into the recommendation algorithms. Good shoes, in a sense.
2: The the thing that I found the funniest of Amazon is literally just the categories you can put your book into to then rise up to be one thousand in dystopian, child, fantasy, tentacle extravaganza adventures. And you'll be you know the the top one hundred and then and then that's that's all that people are getting suggested um
0: and then you can call yourself a number one best selling author
2: you can I mean you don't i don't think you have a significant number of sales but it's the yeah i i think people try game the algorithm and some obviously succeed quite well and 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 even amazon and yourself like i i i discovered that you can you can include at least three or four additional categories but that aren't visible but if you go through the, the amazon back end you can you, know, you can append those to your book, which means you're then viewed more widely in a in a wider bucket. Um, but none of that's really advertised and, and made aware to the published
1: you know self published authors. So a lot of that stuff's not clear to publishers. Um, I had a I had a crazy email chain with uh, one of the major publishers when they got um, just the print rights to one of my books. Uh, they categorized it just in in science fiction, like that. That was the only the only choice they picked in uh, the Amazon metadata. So I emailed them and said, uh, you know, great job knowing that this was science fiction, <laughs> but we should, choose, we should choose as specific a category as possible and choose as, I think, self-publishers at the time got two and major publishers got four. And so that was one of the big things I was excited about when doing this deal. I'm like, we're going to get uh, double the amount of um, categories. And instead they just chose one. It was just self-publishing. So I emailed them and said, uh, "Well, I tried to explain like, uh, let's do you know, self-publishing uh fiction, science fiction, general adventure, and then the other one, general slash hard sci-fi uh, or dystopia." And I I suggested four of them, and they're like, "Well, you know, we appreciate your suggestions, uh, author, but uh, uh, <laughs> we 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 really see this just as like just science fiction." And I was like, "Okay, this is going to take A some while. explaining about." parent-child relationships of these categories. But I was like, so if you choose one of these specific categories, it's still going to show up in science fiction, which is what you want now, but it's going to show up on two other bookshelves as well. And if we choose four categories, we're talking like 16 total bookshelves we're going to get. And they, uh, I'm going to publish the email chain at some point when I just-
2: uh, Name redacted, name redacted.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Because it went back- Literally, like seven times, I had to email them and explain what was going on. And then I started just CCing my agent so that she could see how stupid these people were. And uh, you, people think, like, I signed up with a publisher and I don't need to know this stuff. They know it. They knew far less than the most basic, you know, KDP self published author out there about how the largest bookstore in the world worked. But that was, was eye opening. But that's the thing, I
2: don't have the incentive.
1: Well so here's here's the thing that really authors don't understand when they're making these decisions is that your book at some point is gonna be a competitor to your publisher's other books. So let's say you've had your year run and the book's not doing great anymore or never did great and you wanna reduce it to two ninety-nine on ebook just to try to drive some sales, the publisher will never do that because they're releasing a new thing they hope is the big thing and they're charging twelve ninety nine and your book is going to compete with their books. So you think your publisher is going to have your best interests at heart, but uh it doesn't work that way. And so um those are the kinds of things that I've been vocal about over the years just to get aspiring authors to think kind of more clearly about the long-term ramifications of giving up uh control of pricing, uh ownership of your IP, all that stuff to someone else. It's just uh it doesn't the the Economics don't work, and the, the psychology of it all doesn't work the way you assume it will.
0: Yeah, and in the end, ultimately, you know, as a self published author, you are your own entity, and therefore you're competing with you're competing with other authors, which makes sense in a competitive market like that. But if one publisher is competing with themselves, you know, I look at some of the the releases that are coming up this fall, because there's a huge wave of stuff that's kind of like a back catalog from from pre-pandemic or at the beginning of the pandemic and I look at some publishers and I'm just like bewildered by oh one month has five six releases and three of these are fantasy and three are sci-fi and those come into direct conflict with each other and ultimately it's just like yeah like that 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 money is like on the table and then it just kind of disappears just based on the on the way that you're putting something out into the world you know, would you two see self-publishing as not necessarily an antidote to that, but um, an alternative venue that makes more sense for people who, who want to be able to market themselves in a way that seems fair for the, for the book that they're producing?
2: I think it's a mix between how much ownership you want to retain, how much pain you can endure, and how much you like doing stuff that's not just the pure writing um i mean if if you if you hate marketing you hate formatting you you can have different issues and you hate looking at pagination and kerning you can have different problems but if you like that kind of stuff then i think the benefits probably far outweigh the 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 cons etc like you you are retaining your rights you are retaining ownership and creativity and you're not um you're not locking yourself into a contract that might not have your best interests at heart with an organization that you know, we'll we'll move on from you as soon as you're not out. You know, either you've earned out your contract or you're not earning out your contract, and you now need to pay back your advance. Um, like there's there's pros and cons to both. I mean the the, the stigma's definitely is definitely going away. It's not gone. Um, I mean, Hugh's been here from the start, and I think he'd he'd attest far more to that that there's still a, a level of judgment associated with it. But that's that I think is just in part to, in, in in part due to quality and the fact that anybody can produce a book, but um you know the the good ones really do kind of differentiate themselves, and we need to give more eyeballs to those and just use them as proof of concept. That you know, if you if you want to take a gamble, what you're already doing, consider this, and then follow follow you and myself and people like Michael R Fletcher as, as test cases and learn from what we did and didn't do.
1: I think too, like we we talk about self-published authors being in competition with one another. That's true. How republished the unique thing about self-publishing is that um, authors actually cooperate heavily, like to the point that they make box sets with other authors and, and share the revenue, and make these deals where you get like you know ten books for you know five bucks, and and each author kind of piggybacks on the other author's uh, readership to to get new readers. And you don't you don't you don't see anything like that in the traditional publishing world. So I think there's a level of cooperation. Sharing uh marketing tips and um uh all kinds of advice, business kind of advice with each other. Even even raising oh, sorry. Even raising funds, no, yeah,
2: Even raising funds though. So one of the big barriers I think to getting any book printed is once you get a book printed, you realize how much it costs to get a book printed. Um and even if you're doing an ARC run, you know, say you want, I don't know, five hundred arcs to give to reviewers, et cetera, beta readers, whatever, you know, that's that's a significant outlay of, of funding. Um but you have things like Kickstarter, which, I mean, I'm, I'm going to toot my own horn here. I used Kickstarter to fund my arc run. So there are other avenues you can kind of find to diversify costs. And, and even using something like Kickstarter gets you an audience immediately. So there, you know, there's, there's, there's new methods that didn't exist 10 years ago that you can now use for self-publishing to kind of mitigate some of the financial costs that a, a, a traditional publisher would pay for. Um, and then I still, you know, you still earn your royalties and you're right. So I, I diversified the cost, but I kept all the benefits and I got an audience at the same time. And it was a nice talking point. So it's, it's, it, as long as you could start thinking outside of the box with the tools that you have and you, know, you let your imagination run like, yeah, it's, it, it can be really rewarding. It just takes a bit more
0: planning, perhaps. Planning and then effort and follow through. Yeah. But Hugh, Hugh I like that you mentioned the, Beyond the fact that, obviously, authors are kind of competing with each other for, for sales or market share or whatever, but, but within self-publishing, there exists this collaborative community. And it reminded me of uh, what you said reminded me of video games. There's a, something called the Indie Humble Bundle, which oh, is...
1: They're so good. It's, I
0: it's basically a bunch of indie, pub, ah. uh, indie developers that come together and they bundle their games under certain categories. A lot of the times they, they release their stuff for charities, etc. But I think, despite competition being a part of any market, it's really nice to see self-published authors coming together and viewing each other as, um, you know, potential collaborators or friends, or or just forming a community. And then Duncan, what you said, building on top of that, everybody thinking outside the box and just coming up with new ideas that traditional publishers. Might not even think of, but wouldn't even dream of trying to experiment with because it's too much of a risk.
1: Yeah. And they, they, I've done this with, I've had problems with publishers who have some rights that I'm trying to do promotions with. Their lawyers get involved and they're like, uh, they'll just gum up the works, something that's a no brainer for getting more readers and promoting the work. Like they just don't, uh, see the advantage to experimenting like that. So I had, um, uh John Joseph Adams tried to get like the first part of wool in the wastelands anthology uh part two, and the first one did amazing. It was one of the great anthologies i've I've ever read love every short story in there and I was just so honored that I would have paid money to have my story in that sequel and the publisher that had uh because of the u k rights um uh, were owned by Random House the Random House lawyers were like uh you know, what's the payment going to be and all this other stuff. And it was just going to, it was going to take drag on too long that finally John Joseph was like, I, we have to like publish without it. And I was trying to explain to these random house people, like, do you guys realize we should be paying them to have our thing included? Are y'all worried about how little they're paying us? And, uh, they're just, uh, frankly, complete idiots about some of the marketing decisions and you don't have, you give up control of stuff like that. So it's, uh, really, really frustrating when there's lawyers who aren't working on your behalf who have a say so and what you can and can't do. You can't do free promotions, you can't do price pulsing, you can't do giveaways. Um, it's just a lot to give up.
0: And it's fascinating because it's just it's just a roadblock, even though you're working with professionals who you expect to be professionals you just end up coming across a whole bunch of legalese and, and stuff that gets in the way of what the ultimate goal is, which is to sell a book, you know, and that is so counterintuitive that it, it blows my mind.
1: It's crazy to go through it. Like you just, you, and you can only commiserate with your agents and your spouse and other people and say like, can you believe how stupid these people are? But, uh, they're, they're supposed to be working on your behalf and you can't get them to do the, the most common sense thing.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's why what you two are doing with SPSFC is so, I think, necessary for for the sci-fi industry, self-published authors, because, you know, it gives them a little bit of a boost um, ahead of the normal learning curve when it comes to marketing and and promotion and, and, you know, sending out arcs and all that kind of stuff. I think that in and of itself is a really... Um, beneficial thing to the community so thank you both for doing that
2: yeah pleasure it's like it's like a field of dreams for me like, like it's, you know. <laughs> it's huge exposure too well but it's, I mean, it's like you, you build it and you hope people will come and,
1: yeah <laughs> and the- I thank you guys thank you guys for coming and for being reviewers and manny building a gorgeous website and for doing uh interviews like this i can't wait to see all the interviews with the finalists and other authors and Uh, cover artists and other people who are involved but uh, uh, like Duncan's saying like uh, he's pretty much built this thing and now so many people are coming and wanting to be a part of it so to Adrian and Mandy both like thank you guys so much and and all the reviewers out there who are part of all the bloggers it's just uh, it's such a gift to so many readers and writers that that you're helping people you know out there find each other and find the next great book it's it's just a huge service.
0: This is something that I found just being so fresh into the into this world, but you know, starting at FanFi addict and meeting all these cool people, it was really immediate to me that ah, oh, these are just genuine down-to-earth folks who really love science fiction and fantasy and they just want to talk about it and we developed a community really quickly and you know, other blogs talk to other blogs and and bloggers talk to authors and authors talk to authors. And it's just this huge jumbled mess of of magic that just poops out great conversations and and awesome stuff that, you know, SPSFC started because of Duncan's desire to start something like this, seeing that it didn't exist before. And then using the community, having,
2: having Mark Lawrence to steal the idea from like,
0: Exactly. Well, did you actually get permission? No, we did. We did. We we asked okay. him and got his blessing.
2: <laughs> um, so now we got his blessing. And like, I mean, yeah, it's it's it was lovely that that has been a proof of concept that we could then copy and and obviously modify. So spfc is going to be different from SPFBO just because we're different easier, people. Easier to say.
0: Easier to say.
1: <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, like it's, it's this, this year's a test. It's
1: okay. Oh we actually yeah, they call. It. I think subsfic or spusfic or something like that. Space, we f- space force, it. almost works. Space force, and almost works. That works really well. Donald
0: Trump. Wow. Donald Trump will. No, give I know. You that's
2: why I laugh because it's that. just perfect. That like, <laughs> it's famous oh. already.
3: We actually call it spacebow internally and in between us at uh, Fenfire Dick.
1: What it's do like you call f- it? Spaceballs. Space <laughs> no
3: <laughs> spacebow. It's probably my French accent that's just coming oh, through. Spacebow. Now. The spacebow. Do uh,
0: SPFBO, but spaceball. Boat. Right. Ours was almost a BO,
2: but then it was going to be an SPSFCBO. And we're just like, no. Like, it's just, no. Uh, <laughs>
1: it much. doesn't have a nice ring. I want to wanna, it. I wanna add a new letter every year. <laughs> Until it makes
3: space balls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
1: oh,
2: man, well, you know, you're in Vegas. So you don't even have the trophy with you.
1: Oh, yeah. Actually, so that trophy is sitting on a shelf in uh, my girlfriend's office. So she just gets to look at it all day. I should get a little plaque made that's like best girlfriend of the universe that just sits on the trophy f- until we give it away, then I'll switch it out. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great idea.
0: Oh, man. Well, what are you two hoping for the future of SPSFC? I mean, this year, you know, we've got a lot of blogs involved, a lot of people connected, and I think it's already starting out to be a beautiful thing, especially once we see more content rolling in. But after this year plays out, what are your goals for, for SPSFC in the future? What do you hope from the first year of the competition?
2: Learning experience <laughs> for everybody involved. <laughs> what worked? What didn't yes. work? <laughs> how, to, how to couch the language. Um, uh, but then also, yeah, just like, how do, we, how do we get as much interest, if not more, next year? I mean, the, the interest overwhelmed me, surprised me this year. I mean, I guess it's been a built-up, Backlog of people wanting it, um, but yeah, I mean, for next year, we would love to have more people apply, and probably, obviously, still only enable or allow three hundred in, just because I mean, there's only so many people, and then so many, so many reviewers, and only so much time in the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is something that I think Hugh touched on earlier. It'd be lovely to see finalists and all winners, or even semi-finalists, somebody pick up. An option, an agent, a, a deal of some sort. Um, where, well, that, you know, whether they get approached by a traditional publisher who wants to sign them or they get approached by an agent who wants to uh, sell TV rights, et cetera, at least have the option that they might not have had before. Um, and then, yeah, trophies, trophies and badges aside, I think showing people that there's this route, it's still difficult, but there's another route that you can kind of be discovered on and then find success and have a future writing. Because, I mean, it, it's, it, you, you need to pay the bills at the end of the day, which means you need as many eyeballs on your book as possible, as many people reading your book as possible, which means you need as many people talking about your book as possible, and all of these kinds of competitions help. So if SBSFC keeps doing that and we just, uh, you know, our, our our network grows and our impact grows, then, then win. I mean, right. success.
1: I agree with everybody every bit of that just getting um more readers to these authors is like the primary goal uh the secondary goal for me is the community that will develop between the bloggers and the authors and the cover artists uh i i would love when we start getting back to conventions and um, you know hanging out with each other again that we just keep bumping into people that we've met through uh, interviews like this and through working together and reading each other's books so that uh, we just form more friendships and have more camaraderie. Uh, and I think that's going to happen uh, as well. And I'm really looking forward to, I just got an a email today about a book conference that's happening in November that hopefully we'll still go through. Um, I just can't wait to get back to that where we're, you know, commiserating and hanging out together in, in person and, uh, you know, uh, catching up so I think a lot of great friendships are going to form out of this as well that's exciting
3: and the first round is on me
2: yeah shots shots shot, shot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's all go to I, let's all go to Montreal and get drunk with Manny
2: ah you can't get, I, I don't I, think I, Canada's I, letting Americans in are they are, are we, are I'm Canadian they have to let I, well mean, in, I, mean, I, don't know. I mean hell I'm Australian and I can't even get back into Australia unless I quarantine for two months for eight thousand dollars so that's not happening uh, two months? Sorry, wow. two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, two two weeks. $4,000 a week. Two months. So, yeah, in, a, in in your hotel room and you can't leave. And I think I would go insane. So You could write a book. I, uh, you, you probably could. It, I'd probably be really good for that. But I'd rather do that on an island then. Like If I want to go get yeah. isolated somewhere, take me to Barbara. But no, not a. Yeah, $8,000. Yeah. Probably cheaper.
0: Ridiculous. Oh man, well, um, thank you both very much. Um, We're gonna close out with a a recommendation from each of you, or as many recommendations as you want to give. Just keep it a little, a little bit reasonable. Of some self-published authors that you are reading or want to promote, or if you're reading anything in general, just uh, let us know. We'll start with Duncan.
1: I I,
2: I've said his name for three or four times, but (laughs) and I tweet at him pretty much fairly often because he's he's funny enough in. He's, he's now in the second time for SBFBO and he's now in SPSFC, so he's just double-dipping everywhere. Um, is Michael R. Fletcher. Uh, read his Blackstone Heart. That's where I got my first intro and then go from there. Um, I think I've got two books left of his and then I'm going to start bugging him for when are you, when are you writing more. Uh, who else I can't think of any else self-pub
1: at the moment. Hugh might have somebody. I do have someone. I think um, everyone should check out Duncan Swan's uh, <laughs> novel, <laughs> Monster. I'm not kidding. I agree. Uh, I agree. It's not only a great book, but um, part of my part of my goal with SPSFC is to make sure that uh, Duncan gets the uh, extra readers that he deserves from being able to compete in this uh, competition that he's he's uh, been the brainchild of. So I think it's completely unfair that you've done all this work. Uh, it's it's so the most selfless thing I've ever seen where someone wanted a competition to put their book in and decided to create a competition that every book except theirs is is uh, <laughs> well, you, some, <laughs> is eligible for. So uh, That's the opposite of narcissism. like damn exactly everyone listening backfired. Everyone listening to this, also everyone involved in this, if you're an author who got your book in, um Duncan, what is what does the book go for? Is it an ebook right now? Is it six ninety nine?
2: No, yeah, sorry. It's, it's uh, it just wasn't special. The special ended like what two weeks ago, so we're back at full price. Oh, you missed your window. You missed your window, people, but there'll be an, yeah, it's back to nine ninety nine. I'm sure I'll have another okay. one at some point because Amazon lets me do it's that still,
1: whenever I want. It's ten dollars to support the guy who's creating the competition to support so many other authors. Like, just you're doing yourself a favor. You're not doing him a favor. You're not doing me a favor. You're buying a great book. So. You're definitely doing me a favor, that's but my, yes, I agree one hundred percent with that. That's that's my recommendation.
0: And we'll, we'll put a link to, to Duncan's book in, in the YouTube and the podcast uh, descriptions. What, Hughes what, will cut out, don't picture, worry. He's fine. What He's is fine. picture? <laughs> <as the backside. laughs>
1: don't worry about my books. You, you watch the TV show. It'll probably be better.
0: Oh, man. Well, actually, speaking of the TV show, what can we expect uh, from you, Hugh, and Duncan in the future?
1: Me?
2: I would love a cameo. If you can arrange that, Hugh, I'll be one of the people sent out there to polish that camera and die in misery and agony. But any... <laughs>
1: What, am I, what have I got coming up? Uh, well, the, the TV shows actually can take up a lot of my time, but I also turned in a sequel to Sand this year that'll come out next year uh, and wrote uh, a memoir that I just um, talked with some people at an audiobook uh, place to make me, they want to have me do the narration and kind of um, package this as, a, as an audiobook adventure. So that's exciting. And then I wrote my first feature film, uh, oh, was that the ago.
3: screenplay you were working on a couple of weeks ago?
1: Yeah. So that's done. And then uh, last week I heard from someone in TV and they were excited about Wool and they said, what are you working on next? And I was like, well, I don't have any new books coming out, but I have an idea for a show. And I sent them this pitch document that I've been working on for years and they were like, done, we're doing a deal. And I had the, had a call with them today about it. Nice.
3: And I, I
1: was like, you know, everyone just blows hot air, but uh we did we did a call today, and there were like we're there was like four people on the call, it was like really surprised me. And they were like, We're doing this, and I'm like, Sure, I don't believe yeah. you, but that sounds awesome <laughs> and then I, and then as soon as I got off like an hour later, my agent called, and she was like, So what's this thing I'm doing a deal on so I guess if they've made an offer on this thing that I like sent off in an email. Uh, a couple weeks ago. So now I've got to write a pilot to a new TV show that I just pitched a couple weeks ago. That's awesome. Um, Good
2: problem to have.
3: Some,
1: That's a really nice problem. Yeah, could cre- keep creating more work. But it'll never get made anyway. So uh, fingers <laughs> crossed to you. Fingers crossed.
3: Just, you should put that in your tagline on your on your website. It's never gonna get made anyways. It's <laughs>
1: a. it's like my most popular Twitter thread that I've ever written. This whole thread about like how to manage expectations in in uh in Hollywood and the Uh, it's worked wonders for me, but every, every stage of the adventure, you should assume this is the apex and enjoy it for what it is and never expect the next step to come along. And boy, it's such a, uh, someone on a, we did a table read of the first two, uh, episodes of wool yesterday. So I got to hear like the whole cast actually read the lines for two whole episodes and, um, so at, at the intro, someone was just talking about how this project's been a development hell, and I just corrected them. I was like, this has been development heaven. Like every everything that didn't work out was me in the room with someone who was like more interesting and creative than I am talking about a world that I made up when I was selling books in a little bookstore in North Carolina. So it's been heaven every step of the way. That's amazing. But that's been my attitude towards it all. And yeah
0: it's a very pragmatic attitude. And I think that's the kind of attitude that you need getting into Hollywood, especially. And Duncan is obviously going to tell us about how his book is being optioned for TV. Oh, or God. A movie. Yeah,
2: One day, one day, no <laughs> one day. yeah, <laughs> one, one day we'll see. I mean, that's,
0: well, I, I, you've I got I, you've got volume two coming out. out well, of that's at it. If,
2: if I can, if I can, if I can deliver and meet expectations, then I might start pipe dreaming a bit more. But in the meantime, I'm like, I, I just want to, Live up to expectations and, and keep writing to the point where I'm confident in writing and, and can keep a roof over my head, etc. Um, I also think that uh, personally, a, a movie of monster would be terrible, but an HBO miniseries might be great. So I don't know. We'll see.
0: Well, here I'm gonna I'm gonna actually read something from the founder of uh, FanFi addict. So this is uh, from David Walters. He just wanted to to thank you for. Uh, for Wool, but the reasoning is very beautiful, and I wanted to read this to you. So this is from David, who we call Boss David. He wants to say, Hugh, thank you for being my springboard into everything fiction. Wool astounded me in so many ways, and without that key book in my life, none of what I've accomplished in the book community would have been possible. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for jumpstarting my love of science fiction and fantasy.
1: I don't even know how to process that. That's incredible. Wow. Uh well thank you, Dave. Like I you, you're doing more for uh literature than I've done. Like it's just uh such a great platform to spread the love of uh of genre to so many other people. So uh really kind words. Can't process it, but that that means a lot.
0: Yeah, so thank you both Duncan, Hugh, for SPSFC for the amazing books that you've written in Duncan's case book. <laughs>
3: And read all we'll be and back. read all the three hundred yeah. authors that we just landed yeah. in in our uh, Kindles.
2: Yeah, but you guys have some work to do. But my work is almost done now. I just get to manage the small fires that pop up occasionally.
0: Still, so every every bit helps, and we're very appreciative for what you guys are doing for self publishing, and we're excited to see. you. Thank We're you excited guys. to see where SPSFC goes in the future.
1: Onward and upward. Thank,
2: yeah, thank you guys so much. Thanks for having us. It's been lovely.
0: And there we have it. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this panel on self-publishing and SPSFC. And thanks again to our guests, Hugh Howey and Duncan Swan as well as my co-host, Manny. You can find Hugh on Twitter or Instagram at Hugh Howie. You can find Duncan on Twitter at Duncan underscore Swan or on Instagram at duncan 5 Wan W-A-N. And you can find Manny on Twitter or Instagram at MannyHenri, H-E-N-R-I. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate and review us on your platform of choice, and share us with your friends. It helps a lot and we greatly appreciate it. You can also follow SFF Addicts on Twitter or Instagram, at SFF Addicts Pod. And you can follow me, Adrian M. Gibson, on Twitter or Instagram, at Adrian M. Gibson. SFF Addicts is part of FanFiAddict.com, so make sure to head over there for the latest in book reviews, essays, and all things sci-fi and fantasy, as well as the full episode archive for the podcast. All music for this episode comes from the talented Astronauts. Check them out on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash S-T-R-O-N-O-Z. All links for this episode are also available in the show notes. Now, keep reading, keep imagining, and we'll see you next time on SFF Addicts.